Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. In this episode, I'm really excited to be joined by a friend and a colleague, Dr. Rick Grieve, who is a professor of clinical psychology at Western Kentucky University. And we do a lot of research together looking at fandom, but outside of that research and his teaching responsibilities, Dr. Grieve also holds a private practice in clinical psychology. And so he joins us to talk about Marvel's presentation and accuracy of dissociative identity disorder in the latest Disney Plus series, Moon Knight. And so this was a very, very interesting conversation and I learned a lot from it. I had a great time and I hope you do too. Please come along with us on our adventure. Okay, class, welcome back. Um, today, we're going to have a discussion um, that I've really, really been looking forward to. And it's something that um, is really important, very interesting. And I'm really happy to be able to talk to my colleague, Dr. Rick Grieve, about it. Um, as everybody knows, right now, Moon Knight is the newest show on Disney+. And this is the first show on Disney Plus that is introducing a brand new character as in the title role. Um, and it's also the first show that um, I think at the forefront has a, um, a disorder like dissociative identity disorder. Um, and so this is one of the first shows or the first one that is focusing solely or mainly on some type of psychological condition. And so I wanted to talk to um, Rick about this, um, and we'll get into his background in just a little bit, but, but Rick and I have done a lot of work together um, in sport fandom, um, but outside of sport fandom, I'll let Rick tell you what he does um, outside when, of teaching at Western Kentucky University um, and outside of the research that we do. So first, um, Rick, thank you for doing this, welcome. And if you could give us a little bit of background um, as to your Disney fandom, um, where, how you got to where you are today, um, and then briefly about your, your professional background, and we'll talk about that in a little bit sure, later sure. also. Sure, I can. Uh, first of all, Cody, thank you for having me on. Um, I, as, as you said, we're friends, and I get to uh, stalk you on Facebook, and so I've seen uh, excerpts or, or posts about this class for a while and I think it's a really cool class so I'm I'm excited and thrilled to be here and be part of it um, and, and thank, you. thank you for having me on um, so Disney uh, I first went to Disney uh, when I was a child um, my parents and grandparents took me out to Disneyland in California um, where we got to ride on Space Mountain and my youngest sister threw up all over everybody, which made it a wonderful experience for me because, you know, I wasn't the one throwing up. Uh, um, but, but then we went to, um, as an adolescent, um, my high school, I was in high school band and we got to go to a, a Disney World trip down to Florida. Um, and then it was a while off and I kind of fell back into being a fan of Disney and, and enjoying Disney. Uh, when I took my my two sons 
we, for a while there, we went every other year. Um, and then my youngest son, we ended up going down twice in a year for a couple of different reasons. So um, really have enjoyed uh, the parks um, and, and as well as under, as well as the, the shows, you know, the movies on, uh, from Disney. Um, and I'm old enough to remember Sunday Night Wild, Wide World of Disney coming on, which was required viewing for my home. So um, I guess, you know, as I, as I sit and talk, I, I think about all sorts of Disney fandom. Um, and then with recent acquisitions, you know, Marvel and Star Wars, um, I've been fans of those for a while. So um, I think Disney hits me in a number of different areas um, and fills a lot, of, a lot of interest for me. And um, another thing is you, you mentioned your Marvel fandom um, a few years ago. Uh, we were at a conference and you and I went out to dinner and um, just in the conversation, we started talking about Marvel comics and I really hadn't, I had just, I think, started getting into the MCU. I didn't grow up on the comics. Um, I knew like the silver surfer, cause I thought he looked cool. Uh, like Wolverine and some of the X-Men and I'd heard of Captain America and Iron Man, but um and, but I had started to watch some of the movies because um, I think Infinity War had come out. And so I was watching that and then had to go back and, and start watching all these other movies. And then you fast forward to almost four years later or about four years later now, I consider myself a very big Marvel fan, but a very new Marvel fan. Mm -hmm. But that, um, that dinner when, when you and I were talking, uh, you were talking about how big of a fan you have been of Marvel um, and, and how influential it was for you growing up. Um, and you also talked about Marvel Unlimited um, and just kind of how cool it was to be able to go back and, and, and read all of these things, which is now something that I find myself doing. Like when Moon Knight was about to come out, I went and read a few uh, runs of Moon Knight when the Hawkeye series came out. I had read the Mad Fraction run of that because I heard that's what that was going to be about so could you give us some more information on your your fandom around marvel and kind of sure, sure, your absolutely. background with that <laughs> right so um i i first picked up a marvel comic book um when i was a wee lad um <laughs> i remember we my we would get we would go buy groceries at this independent grocery store um that was like literally way out in the country. Um, and they always had a rack of comic books there. Um, and one day I stumbled upon them uh, and was looking through and I picked up uh, a comic book and convinced my mother she had to buy it for me. Um, I think I was in second or third grade at that point. Um, but, uh, and, and I still have it today um, because I am a pack rat and keep everything that I purchase like that um but but the comic was avengers 109 um which which by the way i went back and looked looked it up today um it's actually hawkeye on the cover saying i'm out of here <laughs> so to, to tie back in there um but the i have been and and i opened it up and i was blown away i just i couldn't wait for new issues to come out um, I was always there at the rack. This was again back when when things were delivered to the stores. 
Um, as I grew up and went off to college, I found, I discovered the goodness of comic book stores um, and for years had a pull box. It didn't matter where I went, I would, I would have a pull box and everybody knew anything Avengers coming out, stick it in my, stick it in my pull box. Um, but over the years, I have collected pretty, I, pretty much every major Marvel character there is. Captain America, Thor, um, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, um, X-Men. Um, you know, there was, I was, I was after the initial run of X-Men and then before the new wave of X-Men. Um, but I did, I did catch a couple of, of those in there, but my love has always been Avengers from the beginning. And so when you, when you started talking about how, how do, how does, how does all this thing, how do all things Avengers work? It was easy to pull back on all that information and then start talking about the classic stories that I've, I've really enjoyed. So, um, and then through movies, uh, I think I've watched pretty much all Marvel superhero movies with the exception of some of the Spider-Mans that have come out somewhere in the middle. Um, they had that first run of like six mm -hmm. that, that seemed to repeat in the second ones. And so I didn't really get the second batch there. Um, but I thought, I think the, the more recent ones have been really good. Um, far away from home, homecoming, and I haven't seen the multiverse one yet, but that's, that's on the, the to see list. Um, but when Iron Man hit in 2012, 2013, 2008, 2008. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, when that hit, um, I actually saw that twice. A friend of mine was supposed to come up and he couldn't, and I wanted to go see it. So I went and saw that movie. Um, and then when he could meet me, when, when we were able to go get together and meet, um, I saw it again. He was not happy that I saw it twice, but <laughs> I, I, I said, man, I just, I couldn't wait to see it. Um, and I thought that one hit, hit all the right tones and, and you saw, you know, the MCU take off from that point there. Yeah. Um, so I have been around Marvel comics for a while, um, and really enjoy what they do. I like the, uh, I really like the idea for me, what separated them from the DC comics at the times when I, when I was looking at them, uh, the DC comics are almost all always in the in the in the in the seventies and early eighties, almost always held self-contained stories. Right? Here's the issue, it's solved at the end of the issue, we move on to the next one. Um, with the Marvel one, it was more sequential. It, it would, you know, the story would build up over time. Um, and I really like that. I like that idea of storytelling and and I remember in the Avengers there were times when they would have, you know, like a, a, an epilogue. Uh, to the story you know the, the main story is finished for now and then here's a page with an epilogue that's that's showing something we have no idea what it means but it's going to come to fruition in the future and and by paying attention and reading through that you actually get some payoff yeah. so um i've really like i said i've really enjoyed that and and i thought they were the best company out you know the the, the best of the two and i know there's always an argument dc marvel but but it for my money, it's always been Marvel and the storytelling there. So, well, and that's Rick and I actually did a project on compare <laughs> fandom of DC and Marvel. Um, and um, one thing that's been really interesting to me about the MCU in particular 
is it, it is that sequential storytelling. And you said how like there will be an epilogue in the comics that you don't know what it means until maybe two or three episodes later or two or three issues later. And I think a lot of people now are used to that being the MCU way. Like that's just the way Marvel works and that's the way MCU works. And um, that that's like an expectation. And, you know, Marvel is essentially the one who the company that made um, tags, mid credit scenes and in credit scenes so right. popular because everybody wants to see what's going to go on. And they're right. like the epilogues of, of the comic issues. Um, it's also really interesting to, to see like knowing a little bit about the history of the way that the comic company worked in their, their comics. Um, there were some that were definitely like planned out and, and well planned out. And then there were some that were, it was just like kind of throw something against the wall, see if it stuck. And if it was popular, keep going, which is essentially what happened with, you know, like fantastic four right, and Spider-Man and everything. Um, by the way, have you seen they they released the the Thor Love and Thunder trailer I, this morning? I saw that it was coming out. I have not been able to take a look at it yet. It's um it looks it looks I'll just say very very entertaining and it has it has a scene in there that's pretty much straight from the comics. Mm -hmm. Um so it'll be it, your your appreciation for comics um will not go by the wayside here um right. but so the reason that we were going to talk today is we're going to talk specifically about moon Knight and the dissociative identity disorder that is on display in moon Knight, and get into kind of how that works and, and how important it is to have this representation so before we do that um i wanted to get your background um in psychology and so people know um, what you have done aside from teaching and aside from the research. Um, so if you could fill us in on that. Absolutely. So um, I received my doctoral degree in clinical psychology, as I like to say, last millennium, because it sounds cool. <laughs> um, 1996 uh, from the University of Memphis, uh, I got a degree in clinical psychology uh, since 2000, I have been a licensed clinical psychologist, um, and I have maintained a small private practice outside of my uh, teaching. Um, so um, I did. I was at Austin P State University before I came to uh, Western Kentucky University, and both places allowed me to work uh, about one day a week doing private practice things. Um, and so I've been able to uh, actually work with clients. Um, now I do mostly assessments. I can't say I used to do mostly assessments. Now it's split about 50, 50 between assessments and psychotherapy. Um, I also, as part of my teaching re responsibilities here at WKU, uh, I do teach personality assessment, um, which is how do we get, how do we have, how do we get to an understanding of what people are showing us in terms of all of the different di disorders um, and how do we, how do these symptoms present in people? Um, I have easily supervised over 2000 different assessments over the years that I've been here. Um, 
probably more. Uh, so we, I have, I have a, uh, quite a bit of experience uh, with understanding psychopathology. Uh, I do keep up on the latest editions of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, what we like to call the DSM, uh, which is our diagnostic guide here in the United States. Uh, and I have a working familiarity uh, with the international classification of diseases, uh, the mental disorders part. Um, but I'm more familiar with DSM than ICD. So, um, and I have been fortunate, if that's, a, if, you, if you can say that, uh, I have been fortunate enough to work with at least two different people who had dissociative identity disorder. So, um, or who claim to have dissociative identity disorder. Well, and uh, thanks for that. And thanks for the background. Um, as you know, and, and as anybody listening or watching, watching knows, um, it's always good, especially when we're going to have a discussion like this, um, to have somebody on um, and to talk about their expertise and, and give their background for that. So, so it's kind of, it's there. So everybody knows when we're talking about this, it, it's, it's not just two people talking about it. It's a person talking to an expert about it. Um, and real quick, Rick, um, like just on the, from a societal level, how, how important is it to always expand the study of psychological disorders? How does that help us as, and how does that help individuals? And how does it also help society? So I do think that's, I do think it's important to have a good understanding of what goes on with, with people. Um, I, part of the reason why I got into the field is because I've always been interested in what makes people do those weird things. Um, and having an understanding of psychopathology, I think helps me understand why people do those weird things. Um, and I can't imagine that I'm the only one who wants to know some of that. Um, but aside from filling that need for knowledge and need for information, uh, I also think that having an understanding of why people do what they do helps us to build understanding for other people, maybe people who don't look or act like us, um, and can build up acceptance and tolerance for the people who don't necessarily look or act like us. Um, and as I, I literally just got done telling my class this morning, I think diversity is wonderful. Um, and I think that it's really important to be able to um, have diversity of opinions, diversity of experiences, diversity of, of outlooks, and be able to tolerate those because when we have those, that diversity, um, it makes us stronger than if we are all pulling in the same way. Um, it's much like, as I think of it, um, if you, if you build, if you build something, I'm going to do this, right? You, you build, you build, you, you build your deck like this, right? One stressor this way will break it. But if it's like this, now we've got more, um, it's a, it's a stronger platform to stand on. And so I think that um, diversity is like that and, and understanding the folks who are outside the norm, um, I think helps us, helps us become a stronger as a society and as a community. 
and that that was a great um like physical representation of it also i've actually never i've never seen anybody do that yeah, before I I talking I about remember this. the words i'm thinking about but you know right, right <laughs> and then yeah so. yeah um the uh so to get into specifically to marvel mm-hmm. and with moon knight as i said moon knight is the first show that has put a psychological disorder at the forefront uh, we'll we'll kind of get into later some of the other psychological disorders or personalities you have seen throughout the MCU. But Moon Knight is particular. They are dealing with DID or dissociative identity disorder. Um, and in that, as people who have watched the show, and we're recording this three episodes in, so we don't know how it's going to end. But they're, they're also about... I know 30, 35 years or more of history in the comics dealing with the Moon Knight character. Yeah, actually, yeah, probably probably closer to 40. Okay. I want to say really um, 80s when it came out, the when when the initial yeah, that's true. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, did you know that actually speaking of the initial comics, you can um in episodes one and two, I didn't see, I haven't seen it in episode three. But in episodes one and two, there are QR codes that if you if you scan those QR codes, they send you to the first episode, the first issues where Moon Knight was featured. Really? Yeah. Like uh, the the one that is in episode one, I think sends you to um, it's Werewolf by Night, okay. um, mm-hmm. which is the first issue he appeared in. Right. Um, and then the second one, I can't remember. I think it may be another Werewolf by Night, but I can't remember. Um so everybody watching the show has has seen that so far at least we have a character Stephen Grant and a personality Mark Spector and they're both played by Oscar Isaac um who is, it seems like he does an amazing job switching back and forth and and giving a physical representation of what these personalities would be and we see these kind of periods of blackout that like you know, somebody will get stressed and then there's a period of blackout and then they'll wake up somewhere else. Um, and so that's where I want to start is that type of depiction. How accurate is that for dissociative identity disorder based on what you have read, what you understand about it and the people you've worked with? Sure. Well, let's let's back up a step and talk a little bit about what dissociative identity disorder is in the first place. All right. So the idea here behind dissociative identity disorder is that there is a host personality. And then because of early traumatic experiences, um, there are these alter per alters that are split off from the host personality to help protect that host personality. So usually when we look at dissociative identity disorder, we're looking at some early experience of either physical or sexual trauma. And then it's the, the personalities then that are brought about uh, for, like I said, for protection. Um, now, I know that there are a lot of, oh, I've frozen. There, you, you froze for a little bit and then... <laughs> What was the last thing you heard me say? I, I actually heard everything. Your your picture was just frozen. Okay. All right. I was worried because I, I you weren't moving and I wasn't moving. And I thought, oh, no. Um, I, I heard everything. Hopefully the recording gets it because that was kind of, that's very important information. 
Yeah. Um, so anyhow, early, early, early traumatic experience. Um, now, when we, you look at research, there, there's research out there that, that suggests, you know, some people have as few as two personalities um, and as many as like I've seen 500 personalities. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical about the 500 personality one, um, although I have one of my supervisees worked with somebody who had I think 120 personalities and they described it like living in a an apartment complex and the, the personalities would come out at that point i don't i don't know how how sold i am on that um before we get too deep too as, as i think about this um i want to remind everybody that TikTok is not your friend in this um the descriptions that we see on TikTok of dissociative identity disorder really are not necessarily accurate. Um, and now, now it's nice for my business. It dri it's driven a bunch of people to come be evaluated to see if they have it. Um, but don't believe everything you hear on TikTok. Um, it's fun for entertainment, but but yeah. it's not it's not a way to get diagnosed. It's interesting. You can't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> well, well, what happened? Where, where are we? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so uh, that being said, is this is the depiction of Moon Knight a, a, a good depiction of dissociative identity disorder? Um, I think it is. I, I think in general it is. Um, you have two. You, you, you have two different personalities, and, and in the show, I don't know who you would argue is the is the primary. You know, who would be the host? Um, if you go back and look at the comic books, I think it's pretty clear that, that Mark Spector is actually the host personality, and then the Stephen Grant and the guy we haven't seen yet, Jake Locks Lockley, yeah, are the are the two alters. Um, but but I you know in the show it's kind of set up that Stephen mm -hmm. Grant is the host, although it seems as though Mark Spector's been around longer, so it may be that because the show is being told from the point of view of uh, Stephen Grant, that that's just, just kind of the way it is, the way it's set up to be. Um, so I think uh, in, that, in that regards, I think it does a good job. Um, I'm not certain in terms of the cinematic part of it, um, you know, like when they move from, they have a stressful set and then there's the, the, the breaks that you get right? The, the flashes. Um, I'm not certain that happens experientially. Um, and usually um, the, the people that I've worked with, while they understand what the other alters are thinking and feeling, um, they don't necessarily have discussions with them in the mirror. That's, that's more, I, would, I mean, and, and now that makes really good cinema. If it were happening here and somebody told me about that, I might be thinking about hallucinations and uh, well, audio, auditory and visual hallucinations, auditory, yeah, auditory and visual hallucinations, right? They're seeing things and hearing things in addition to the dissociative identity disorder, but you can't get that in a visual platform like a, like a television show. So um, I think the idea of, of them having that interaction is a wonderful way to do to describe what's going on inside inside the person and i you know it's it's first of all everybody has um 
everybody got a glimpse into um, why my career has, has gone the way that it has, because uh, Rick has always helped me out and, and taking a step back and explaining things more, um, which would have been a great question to start with. What is dissociative identity disorder? Thank you for jumping in and doing that. Um, the one thing that I think is really interesting about all of this is that I, I had written down like what liberties were taken because we had talked about talking in the mirrors. Right. And that being something that I can't think of a better way for cinematically for that to be shown. Right. Um, I can't that, that, it, that is a great way to kind of show that, that, you know, the division and, and the vision of personalities and everything. Um, I also think, and, and again, we're recording this three episodes in, so episodes four, five, and six could throw a complete curveball and everything, you know, um, goes, goes haywire. But I still, I think the reason I wanted to talk now is we have the basis of what this show is about or how it's dealing with the disorder. Um, so it's not necessarily, um, we don't necessarily have to wait until the end right. to talk about it because we've seen these two personalities. Um, there are arguments to be made that even in episodes one and two, we saw a third personality. I think it was pretty clear in episode three that we saw a third personality. It, it just wasn't named. Um, and actually there is, if you, if you notice, I always laugh about the Marvel, like, undercover hat if you've noticed throughout all the mcu movies or like series if somebody's undercover they wear like that dark hat that doesn't have anything on the front right. well in episode three when he's walk walking through cairo he actually does have it's a chicago cubs hat on mm -hmm. and it's it's the same color it's like you know navy on navy so it's it's harder to see but the character jake lockley is from as a native of Chicago or, or that personality as a native of Chicago. And so there's some, there's some hints that we've already seen that. Um, what else do you think in the show that they have been very accurate with displaying dissociative identity disorder and what else have they taken liberties on? Do you think? I think pretty accurate uh, would fall. I, I would, when I look at and, and watch the confusion, especially of the Stephen Grant character about how I'm missing parts of my day, um, I think that's very accurate. Usually people who have dissociative identity disorder um, have hours that are lost that they can't explain. Um, and it's because the, the other altar has taken over at that point. Um, I think the idea that there's a, always a fight over who is going to be in control is probably a, a little bit exaggerated, um, although maybe not a whole lot exaggerated. Um, but usually what happens, is, from my understanding, what usually happens is the altars come out in times of stress or, or come out in anticipation of times of stress. So the altars are created for a specific purpose. So let's say that um, the individual underwent 
physical trauma and they created an altar to deal with that physical trauma. Anytime they come into a situation where they think they're going, there's going to be physicality there or the potential for injury, then that altar will, be, will come out um, and protect the host individual. Um, and usually it, it's, not like, it's not like there's a big fight over who controls the body. Um, I think there's a, willing, a willingness to go back and forth. Um, although I have heard times where the, the host personality is, I'm going to put this in air quotes, unwilling to come out. Um, now, whether that's uh, due to anxiety um, or has been reinforced, I don't, you know, I can't, I can't speak very well on that, but uh, there are those cases where sometimes it's harder to get people to come out uh, and, and be in control than it is to have them fighting over who gets control of the body. So then what, um, like it's, you said this is something that is developed, the person develops based on trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something someone is born with, right? It's something that they develop that as a way to, as a more like a coping mechanism almost. Yes. Although when we think about the development of psychological disorders, um, there's always a, an underlying genetic predisposition that is combined with situational stress. Okay. There are a lot of people who can have the underlying genetic predisposition, but because they don't get the, the, the environmental stress, then they don't get they, the, the disorder is not expressed. Okay. Conversely, there's a lot of people who go through all sorts of environmental stress, but without the underlying genetic predisposition, there's not going to be the, the psychological disorder. It's only okay. when both of those two things are, are occur together that you get the expression of the disorder. Okay. And, and not to get too much into the weeds of like the assessments and everything, but, but you have mentioned that, you know, somebody who says they have over a hundred or 500 personalities, that's that a little questionable or, or more questionable than someone who, who might have a few. Um, these, the diagnostic tests are, are like, they're designed so you have a pretty good idea what what is happening. And so I guess my question is like, do people, because you also mentioned, you know, people coming into your business to, to be tested for this. Is this, is this something that you've experienced people have almost like tried to say that they have dissociative identity disorder or um, that, or do, do people who come in just like they're kind of, they're, they're searching for an answer. And, and so that's kind of where they've come is how, how can they figure out what's going on? Right. So I think, I think we hit both of those okay. types of people. Um, first off, I think that there are a few people who have strange experiences and they show up trying to figure out what's going on. Okay. Um, I think there's a second group of people who think they have dissociative identity disorder um, and come in wanting to show that they have dissociative identity disorder. 
Um, and then there's a third group of people who um, maybe are just confused and, and, and they're trying to, they, you know, they've heard some things and they, and they, they really will be happy to, to know that they're normal. Um, and, and I tend to think that dissociative identity disorder is the far end of the continuum of personality. Okay. You, you and I will sit and say, you know, uh, I'm, of, I'm of one mind to think this way, but uh, on the other hand, my, my mind also tells me this, right? I'm a, you know, we, we've said that I'm of two minds of something. Um, and we're okay to do that, or we're okay to say, you know what, I act this way when I'm, I'm in a professional setting, and I act this way when I'm in a sports setting, right? Now, hopefully we're more consistent, but sometimes those can be very wildly different. Um, and does that, so if I act one way when I'm in front of a, of a classroom, and another way when I'm, I'm on the ice rink, does that mean I have two different personalities? Well, for the most part, no, because we, we understand that that's, that's the situation. Um, but with dissociative identity disorder, I think maybe those connections are a little bit looser, um, and it is seen as other people coming in and out. Um, or when I have to be assertive and stand up for myself, then I need to have this other personality come out that's more assertive. Um, so I really do see it as, as just the far end of that, that normal continuum it's just way out there a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of times people believe they have disorders when they really don't. Um, and probably about 75% of the time when people come in asking if they have a disorder and we tell them, no, you're fine, they're relieved. The other 25% are just so invested in having that yeah. diagnosis. Um, and usually, usually the reason why they are invested in having the diagnosis is is they're getting something from it. Something we okay. would call that they get secondary gain. Okay. Um, I do remember the first person I worked with who said they had dissociative identity disorder um, was a, an older Southern woman um, who was, you know, you think of the Southern belle, you know, has uh, uh, been taught you have to be compliant and listen to people and do, do things for folks and be nice to people. Um, and especially be nice to your husband and, and support him and everything. Um, and she just happened to marry this guy who was a complete and total um, nasty person. I, I, I'm trying to keep it <laughs> trying to keep it family friendly here. Um, but he he cheated on her. He beat her up. Um, he would he would force her to have intimate relations when she didn't want to. Um, so he really was not a nice person. Um, and she had created this, um, alter personality to deal with him and the alter personality hated him and would do things like stab him with knitting needles and chase him around the, around the house with scissors. Um, which to me seemed like a perfectly normal reaction to the things that he was doing to her. Um, except that, that idea of me being this aggressive to my husband was unacceptable to her. So she had created this altar out there who would do that. Um, and for her, it's, I love my husband. I, I, you know, I don't know, I have nothing wrong. I can't say anything bad against him. Now my altar, she hates him. Mm. And, so, and so for me, the, the way I saw that is the, the altar gave her the permission, permission to yeah. be angry with her husband when he did crappy things to her. Yeah. Um, and so I see a lot of that happening with people who, who are, who have, who come in looking for specific diagnoses. 
Okay. I think you know, I, if I get this diagnosis, then there's going to be some other kinds of things that can happen if I have this diagnosis. It at least helps you kind of, we're always searching to make sense of our surroundings. And this is one way that it helps to right. make sense of your surrounding is that you can, and it's not, I don't want to say it's not to give anybody a pass or anything, but like you can make kind of, you know, you can, like I said, make sense of, of what's going on. And, and there, there's this other thing going on. Um, you know, you mentioned in the comics, mm -hmm. Mark Spector being uh, the main personality or the host mm -hmm. and in the comics and they, they, they did talk about it um, in episode one, no episode two um, where Mark Spector said, Basically, yes, he was a mercenary and he um, is alive because of Conchu. So in the comics, he's a mercenary who, who dies at the, the foot of the Egyptian god Conchu statue. And, and Conchu brings him back and kind of his, to stay alive, he is going to be the uh, fist of vengeance for Conchu. Um, and so, you know, it, it definitely has alluded to in the movie, I'm sorry, in the show, that maybe he is the host and we were just introduced to Stephen Grant first for cinematic purposes. Right. And because it's also um, been discussed that maybe, excuse me, Mark Spector created um, his altar. He created Stephen Grant to be more like his wife. And so he could relate with his wife. Because if you remember in episode two, his wife, they have the same, um, like they, they have the same favorite author, favorite poet and, and things like that. And they both understand Egyptology. Um, and so there, there are some clues that maybe that is the case that, that Mark Spector is the main host. Um, I, would, I would actually argue that, that yes, he is. Um, just from the, the, the things that have been, that, that have been talked about within the show, right? Um, because Mark is married, um, to Layla, mm -hmm. um, or, or is in the process of getting divorced from her. That tells me he has a history there that see, that seems to precede Stephen Grant because mm -hmm. Stephen Grant does not know about Layla. Um, and then, the idea that Mark was a, a mercenary before Stephen came around, you know, it, it just it just seems that that the history behind the Steve, behind the, the Mark Spector character is lengthier than the history behind the Stephen Grant character. So so I would I would lean towards that in terms of uh, for storytelling. It, it's a wonderful storytelling um, device where you can. You know, wake up and, and the the person is confused, and we assume that the, that this is the this is the host, but it turns out that no, the host is really the other personality that's kind of been locked away for for some reason or another. Yeah. Um. The so not to get too into trying to figure out what's going to happen next or or rumors <laughs> or anything like that or um in the comics there is a comic run. And I know you you haven't seen that comic run, you said, but there is a comic run where um, the story occurs, and I haven't really gotten to the end of it, but the story occurs in an institution. 
And so it, it essentially comes out that you don't know what's real and what's not real. He doesn't know what's real and what's not real. And I think even in that comic run, Marlene is his wife in the comics. And right. I think she may be in the institution as well, along with Crawley, who in this show is, you know, like the, I can't remember what you call him, live statue actor. Um, so they're, they're and, and Billy and Bobby, who we've seen in the show, are um, some of the caretakers at the institution. And you really don't, like I said, I haven't gotten to the end of it. You really don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so I, I'm, I wonder if we will get a glimpse of that um in episodes to come there are some things that tell me maybe we will because of some of the hints that they've dropped along the way with with billy and bobby and and the and and dr harrow's he's also had kind of multiple roles in the comic books um but how many like how prevalent is it that someone with dissociative identity disorder would be institutionalized or is it based on kind of their actions when they do something? Right, right. So um, that's a really good question. I don't think that people with dissociative identity disorder are summarily institutionalized um, because our psychiatric hospitals, uh, especially like the long-term psychiatric hospitals, uh, are designed for people who have difficulties taking care of themselves. And usually they have difficulties taking care of themselves because they have had a significant break with reality um, and they don't necessarily think like you and I. Now, the, those are the people that we say have schizophrenia, right? Um, they have hallucinations, they have delusions. They're not exactly sure who they are or where they are. Um, I think with dissociative identity disorder, while there has been a sort of break in how we, how, how the personality is constructed, um, that break is designed to help the person um, function in day-to-day -day life. And so unless you, are in, unless you are internal to the person, you don't recognize where the difficulties are coming from because that person is able to function um, in their lives. It's just that they have these times when the host doesn't know what, what else is going on. Um, but that's because the other, the other personality is, has come in and taken over um, and um, goes about and, and functions and then, and then recedes and the host comes back. So um, I don't, unless again, unless the, the, the dissociative identity disorders then diagnosed and they're hospitalized, but I haven't, I really haven't seen a lot of cases in psychiatric hospitals of folks who have dissociative identity disorder. Um, have you ever experienced or, or read about or worked with anybody who has worked with a colleague who has worked with someone who's experienced the, the fact that not knowing what is real, because that's a very strong theme especially with Stephen Grant that he doesn't know what's real he doesn't know what's a dream he doesn't know what's what's his real life um is that something that's common with people who have dissociative identity disorder um the true answer is I don't know but let me speculate a little bit um I think it would not be out of the realm of possibility 
Um, we there there is a term for it. We call it derealization. Okay. Um, this idea that that I don't know what's going, what is what is real or what is what is not. Um, and I could see that just like we had that loosening of the the personality structure, um, maybe some of the ties to reality then become a little bit loose as well. And if I don't know who I am, then sometimes it's hard to understand what's going on around me. Um, I don't think that's 100% of the case, um, but I would think that it's probably more likely to happen in folks who have dissociative identity disorder than in people who don't. Okay. Um, and then uh, based for people who are watching this, not listening, um, they could see we have, uh, Rick has Moon Knight behind him. I have Mr. Knight behind <laughs> me. Um, and in the comics, they're kind of set up where these are the, um, the comics and the show. These are the, the comic super, these are the superhero um, personalities. Um, have you, have you ever heard of anybody with dissociative identity disorder, uh, kind of like believing they have some type of superhero abilities or supernatural abilities or things like that? Because, you, you know, we talk a lot in society about like, who is, what superhero do you identify with? What character do you identify with? We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but, um, like, especially with this and not knowing, you know, the theme of not knowing what's real and what's not real. Um, have you come across anybody who, who has ever mentioned anything like that? I have not, not in, ter okay. not in terms of believing they had superpowers as, as an alter. Um, I have, I have read about um, and heard of all, all sorts of different types of alters um, from, you know, alters who are, are stuck as a little child um, through alters who are animals. Um, dogs are pretty common. Uh, I had, I did hear of one client who had uh, an alter of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, and then the, the strangest one maybe uh, is the woman who said that one of her alters was a cloud, which seem again those are the ones where i start thinking man maybe we've got some things that have been reinforced in or incorrectly here um but but nobody who says yes in this in this personality i i can bend steel with my bare arms or, or bare hands or, or or stop a speeding bullet or or you know throw a shield with really great accuracy so um i don't I, we haven't seen that now that doesn't mean they're out there. It just means I haven't come across it. Well, and uh, like, you know, we talk about alter egos and, and when people talk about alter egos, it's almost as though they're, they're saying like, it, it seems like most of the time they're talking about it when, when something's happened, that's out of the ordinary for them. They'll say, Oh, that's my alter ego or this, right. and the, you know, right. that was my evil twin brother, Skippy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and so, you know, it does make sense that there are a lot of, you know, you have those situations where people are talking about that, but then you have people who are clinically diagnosed as suffering from something like this, which, which makes it difficult to really talk about the topic in a way that can help people move forward. And so 
what well, actually, I but actually let me let me let me just jump in okay. a second here, Cody, because I think I think thinking about it like my alter ego or I did something that was out of character for me, it seemed like it was, you know, I think that simply explains that complexity of personality, right? It, yeah. it takes yeah. us on that that continuum. Um, I tend to think it makes it a little bit easier to understand. Okay harder to understand because because for me it's not it's not a break between this is normal personality functioning and this is crazy personality functioning right i think there's a there's a lot of steps in between there um which gets us to that wide diversity that we have okay all right yeah thank you uh, the 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 next question i have on that is um what is the importance of exposing people to these type of disorders and, and just overall diversity in the way that that people experience life like like what is the how important is it that entertainment companies are doing this right well you know i think that that it is very helpful to show a wide variety of people on screen and have a wide variety of um, leading characters, um, because that gives everyone someone with whom they can identify. Um, and if I have, and, and that identification, I think then, then normalizes my experience or normalizes experiences that we have, um, and can lead to a better quality of life and better experience within, within society. Um, and you, you mentioned it earlier. Do you think, because we talk a lot about it's it, it, how important it is to see someone on screen that looks like you mm -hmm. behaves like you, this is a, a, this is somewhat a, a, like, um, if someone gets away from that because this is this character may not look like people, but maybe they experience this or believe they experience it. Um, and do you think, I don't know if this is the most eloquently way to say it, but do you think a show like this, and, and he presumably will be in movies and, and, and other things, probably the werewolf by night Halloween special. I mean, you're not going to have Oscar Isaac and only have him in six episodes of a show. I imagine he's going to be in the MCU a lot. Um, do you think this will create almost the people wanting to identify with this and wanting to say they have this? I mean, you mentioned it earlier, this being good for business for people yeah. coming in. Do you think people will, will almost like reach for this? Um. The short answer is yes. I do think that anytime you see, anytime you see popular depictions of a, of a disorder, you're going to have people who say, yes, that matches me and that's what I have. Um, and then for reasons both good and bad, they want to, they want to have that diagnosis. Um, I think it's analogous although in a smaller scale, um, to what I see with like autism spectrum disorder. Um, I don't know how much contact you've had um, with folks who 
think they might have or think their kids have um, autism spectrum disorder, but uh, that seems to be really popular right now. And I think that's because there are some potential benefits um, for kids who have, who have that diagnosis. Um, not the least of which it helps mom and dad explain what the heck's going on. Um, and I think, I do think that a lot of times the not knowing is worse than knowing one way or the other, right? And so if I'm having a strange experience and then I, why do we go to WebMD, right? I've got this lump, it's a really weird lump, it's feeling strange. So I go to WebMD and now I say, oh gosh, that's cancer. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so now I feel, you know, I'm a little worried about cancer, but it's better than not knowing what it could be, yeah. right? I want to have an answer. Um, and I think the same thing happens with, with, with psychological functioning. Most people are going to fall in the normal range and we're going to say, hey, nothing to see here, move along. Um, but it's that idea of understanding that there's nothing to see here, we can move along. Um, and that's just you and we can work on embracing you um, that helps people get through it. So yes, I do think that, that some people can see this and say, yes, this mirrors my experience or my, it's kind of like that, or I feel, I feel this way. Um, and I'm not going to go so I'm not going to say that it's a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing to have it checked out and talk to a professional to, to get a professional opinion on what's going on. Cause I can, I can look at my lump all I want. Um, but until I go to a doctor, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. Well, and that, that was my next question as somebody who watches this and feels like this is, they possibly identify with this. Um, what would be the next steps for them to, to figure this out? Yeah, I would, I would say go to a trained professional, go to a, a mental health professional um, for an evaluation. Um, just to see. And, and if that evaluation is simply sitting and talking with someone um, who can help you determine what's going on and help you determine the next step, I think that would be what I would, would tell them. Um, it, yeah. Evaluation would be that would be the, would be the, the easiest next first step. Um, and so what do you think the, for the general public, what do you think the next steps are to educating people about this? And the reason I ask is I've had a few conversations about like, you know, when, when Disney released Hamilton on Disney plus and it, it obviously extremely popular. Um, and they, they produced a few interview specials where people from the cast and historians were talking about it and those were great. Um, but you know, there's also, there was a lot of, they took a lot of liberties with the retelling of Hamilton. Mm -hmm. You, you would in a two and a half hour musical, you can't tell everything. And so they didn't talk about a lot of stuff. Um, and so, you know, there's an idea that, Hey, maybe when we, maybe when these entertainment shows are being put out that should expose people to something, then is it the entertainment companies? responsibility to take an extra step and talk about hey here's here's what this really means here's where more information is available and and so that people just aren't watching this saying hey this is really interesting um, I kind of identify with this but I'm not sure and then that's kind of where they they drop it 
Right. Um, um, so I was, I would, yes. Uh, sorry, you, you, you had me jotting the notes down so I wouldn't forget them. Um, I think, uh, I really think that if people find themselves intrigued by this, that yes, they should go and look up more information. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the responsibility of the entertainment company to provide that information. Um, now, if the, if the company can um, vet the information, provide good information um, that is consistent with entertainment, like, like the interviews after Hamilton, um, I think are good entertainment uh, as well as inform informative, um, then, then by all means go and do it. But I, I, I would fall under the idea of the opinion that it's not the responsibility of the company to provide the information, but of the person, the individuals to go out and um, look some things up on their own. Um, I think if you go back um, historically, the first, the first real popularization of dissociative identity disorder uh, was a book called The Three Faces of Eve. Um, and I can't remember who wrote that right now, but it was um, about a, a client uh, who had dissociative identity disorder, um, who, then there's a movie called The Three Faces of Eve also, um, which I think may have won some uh, Academy Awards way back in the day. Um, but but that's, that's where it first comes into, into the public awareness. Um, I, I know that the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, uh, NAMI, uh, has a good website that has a lot of good information on it about mental illness. Um, and I'm thinking uh, the National Institute for Mental Health, NIMH, would also have um, good information on dissociative identity disorder. Um, and yeah, and I think that would be the best places to look um, for further reading and further information. But, but absolutely, I agree that, that, that following up, if, if you're interested, is important, um, important for that. Okay. And um, the, the, the book, Sybil, Yes. Um, was that, is that dissociative identity disorder or is that something else? Uh, I believe it was dissociative identity. Okay. okay. Maybe, and then, maybe, maybe I'm getting that book confused with three, with the movie three faces of Eve, which was based on that book. Oh, okay. Okay. That, that might be what I'm thinking. I'm okay. old. I, um, I, have these, I have these cross wires at times. The, um, the all in all, um, well, and real quick, because we've mentioned it a couple of times, um, what is the clinical distinction between dissociative identity disorder and schizophrenia? All right, so um, schizophrenia really involves um, one of two things. It involves hallucinations and delusions, okay. right? So hallucinations are sensory experiences that uh, are not based in reality. And it can be any sensory experience. Most common is hearing voices or hearing things but you can also have visual uh, hallucinations where you see things. You can have olfactory hallucinations where you smell things. You can have um, 
uh, gustatory hallucinations where you taste things um, and you can have somatic hallucinations where you feel things. And there's actually a sixth one where you actually have uh, hallucinatory pain. Um, so, so you have all these things that aren't based in reality, but they're, they're sensory experiences. Okay. And then delusions are um, irrational beliefs that are held despite evidence to the contrary. Okay. Um, so uh, I've worked with folks who have sworn up and down um, that they were currently Navy SEALs um, and they were, you know, uh, the government was just hiding them out uh, at, the, at the community mental health center where I met them at, um, but they were really gonna be called back into action um, shortly. Uh, and these are folks who are, you know, 60 or 70 pounds overweight and, you know, my age. So I'm pretty certain probably not, but um, so, so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at delusions or, or the beliefs that, you know, the, the aliens are tracking me um, and, and they pick me up every night and give me the, the once over and then send me back down. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what we're looking at for delusions. Um, and so with schizophrenia there, it really is uh, what we consider a break from reality, right? Those hallucinations, those delusions, they impair the individual's ability to function on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. Now, dissociative identity disorder isn't as severe. I don't, I wouldn't categorize it as severe as schizophrenia in terms of the individual still is able to function. All right, your folks with schizophrenia may or may not be able to get themselves dressed. They may or may not be able to take a shower. They may think that the water in the showers are poisonous, so we're not going to get in there um, and we're not going to take a shower. Folks with dissociative identity disorder can function on a day-to-day -day basis. They have broken off parts of who they are and those different parts take over. We can argue over, I mean, that as I say it out loud, that sounds pretty severe, right? Um, but it but it doesn't impair functioning like it does with schizophrenia. And so do you think, is it accurate to say that the way that it's being, the way the character is being portrayed in the series um, is mainly dissociative identity disorder. That's what they're identifying. But some of the cinematic liberties they've taken with him talking to himself in the mirror, <clears throat> hearing things, seeing things. Um, that that would more closely align with what schizophrenia would be. Yes, I would, okay. I would absolutely agree with that. that okay. the, the character is portrayed as having dissociative identity disorder, but seeing yourself and talking with yourself to me is, is hallucinations. Okay. Uh, but, but I don't know how you do that otherwise in a show like this. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I think it, I think it makes perfect sense. Um, and like I said, I, I am thoroughly fascinated by the show and, and yeah. must, it's must watch viewing every Wednesday for my son and I. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's, a, it's been a lot of fun. Um, all, all in all, um, do you think the, I mean, you just talked about how much you enjoy it. Um, but all in all, do you think the show has done justice in a positive way to exposing viewers and society to dissociative identity disorder? Um, yeah, I do. I do think it presents it, it. I do think it presents it as I do think it presents it in a favorable light. Um, 
I like that. And, and, and I've always liked the Moon Knight character, probably because of the, the dissociative identity disorder there, um, because it makes for an interesting kind of character. Mm -hmm. But I also see that it shows that superheroes can come from all walks of life yeah. and, and all types of mental capacities and mental makeups. I, I think one of the, I like that you said that, because I think the, one of my favorite things about Avengers Endgame is showing Thor and the creative choice they've made for Thor to, you know, not look like your typical right. superhero. And then there was even, and I'm not sure how accurate this is, but there, there were reports that, you know, at the very end in the fight scene, when he gets his, uh, like uh, armor on or whatever when it appears around him then he's going to be like we know Chris Hemsworth to look um, but Chris Hemsworth actually said no we need to keep it looking like this um, and one thing that I really enjoyed about that was it was that kind of message of anybody can help doesn't right. matter if you're depressed doesn't matter if if you've gotten to that level of depression where you have, you know, presumably done some harm to yourself um, th through health reasons, you, you still can help out. And I, I think that's, that is a really good thing. And we talk about that with superheroes a lot is what do they actually mean? How do they impact society? How do they impact individuals? So I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Um, there there's, one more thing before we get to the, the rapid questions. Um, throughout the MCU, um, I mean, we're, we're now from 2008 till 2022, we're 14 years into this. There have been many, many characters who, would, who have exhibited some type of psychological condition or disorder. Um, can you give four or five that you have seen in the MCU that you you think would be the character would be a clinical definition or ex example sure. of something. Well, well, I think you hit one there that, that I hadn't thought of before, right? Thor in Avengers Endgame, where he actually does show some symptoms of depression, mm -hmm. right? Isolation, uh, drinking to to solve the problems, um, being lethargic and not and not doing anything. Um, all of those would 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 center in uh, uh, on, on depression there. Um, probably most, um, obviously, if you ask people name, name psychopathology in, in movies, uh, I would say Tony Stark is, is going to have some, uh, probably narcissistic personality disorder would be, would be my diagnosis. Um, I'm great, everything about me is great and you should all love me. Um, and 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 by the way, don't show this to any of my students in my abnormal psych class because that's one of the characters in the movies they have to diagnose. And I think I just <laughs> the answer to the to the question. Uh, um, I think if you look at um, some of your evil villains, um, uh, Otto Octavius comes to mind when they when they bring in Victor Von Doom. That's going to be another one. Um, but but you really see antisocial personality disorder there, where 
Um, I'm going to substitute my own morality for the morality of society uh, and or uh, the ends justify the means. And so whatever I want, I can do whatever I need to to get there. Um, I think per, I, I, we talked a little bit about Spider-Man, I think, earlier. Um, and I think both within the comics and within the movies, there is there is a lot of depression with Spider-Man. There's a lot with him. With him, the depression ends up being starting with uh, a low self-esteem. Right. I can't do this. I'm not worthy. I'm not able to do it. Um, but then fighting through that angst uh, and, and that depression to be able to become, a, to be, to, to fight through onto the other side. Um, oh gosh, those are the big ones that come to mind. Um, I had a really quick thought. Um, I think when we watch Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Drax the Destroyer, I think is portrayed as having low intellectual capacity we might call it intellectual disability um he tends to be simpler than other people um but i think also there's an underlying complexity there so that that could be a little bit off as well so um those are the ones just off the top of my head that come to mind i i had a question about steve rogers and captain america yes um the way he's portrayed is he and it, maybe it's maybe it's more like how we portray our athletes, how our athletes need to do whatever they can to be successful. And and if they're hurt, they play. If they're like sick, they play. If if they can't do any of that, then for lack of a better term, like a lot of fans think, what are they good for? You know, like, what have you done for me lately? Do you think Captain America, Steve Rogers, Captain America displays a little bit of that? Because he was constantly before he became Captain America, he was constantly trying to join the army, constantly wanted to help. And he was glorified for it. And he's always been glorified for it. But, the you know, the more recent movement of athletes needing to look out for their mental well-being and their their health and their physical well-being. Do you think he displays some of that kind of like overemphasis on what we consider success um that's a good question um and i'm going to have a hard time separating out what i've seen in the movies from what i see in the comic books okay um but i think that the premise of steve rogers is that he is an everyman um, and, and starts off with, again, being, being somebody that, that some, of, uh, some of the people who maybe used to read, who, who, who are the stereotypical folks who read comic books, right, where we are the, the, the weaker, less physically able uh, people. Um, and then he's given this magic potion that turns him into a superstar athlete, but he has to keep training to get better. I mean, he and he has that drive to be the best that he can be. Um, so I think that, I do think that that is depicted there within the movies. Um, and I guess I've never really thought, is that a bad thing for him or not? Um, because we do know with athletes, you can overtrain and you can go too far with it. Um, I've just always seen Captain America as being the person who's willing to put in the time for training um, 
that you do as part of the job. Um, and, and for him, that was important. Um, and the bigger issue, is, I think for, for, for Captain America, the tension becomes the, the, um, the, the, the constant conflict between the values of society that, that he grew up in and the, the values of the society that he finds himself in. That, that's the big conflict there that they always play up in all of the in all the comics. I don't know if it's come out so much in the movies or not, but but that's where the big conflict there for him is. So I don't necessarily see it as I don't see the idea of he goes and does you know he he's training um, to to get better because that's how he I mean that just to me that kind of just shows the the potential for hard work. To okay. Pay off. okay. Um, and so the, the close out, I have a few rapid questions and these are, these are things that you can, um, you can explain. You don't have to explain anything <laughs> also. Okay. Um, so the first one is your, your favorite Disney park or, or gate. My favorite Disney park is Hollywood studios. Okay. All right. Um, all the m- much of what I enjoy from Disney is at Hollywood studios. Okay. All right. Um, favorite attraction or favorite ride? Um, one they got rid of, Rock and Roller Coaster. Okay. Um, second would be uh, Tower of Terror. Third would be uh, Expedition Everest. Okay. Rock and Roller Coaster is still there. Is it? Uh, I thought they yeah. were replacing it with the Guardians of the Galaxy. No, no, no. That's um, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be at Epcot, where oh. the old Horizons Pavilion was. Okay. I thought um, they were getting rid of Rock and Roller Coaster. There have been rumors of re- not retheming completely, maybe changing the music for it okay. um, over the years. But yeah, they, they do still have it. So that was the one ride we didn't go this last time the, because the boys were too the boys were too small for that. Uh, um, but they actually, surprisingly, they really, really liked Tower of Terror. Um, that turned into a I was trying to describe to them how, why we weren't going to ride it. And it turned into 20 <laughs> questions. And I finally said, you know what, if you want to ride go. it, let's, let's try it. And they loved it. So yeah, the, the one, my, the, my boys really like the, uh, um, uh, star tours. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I was favorably impressed with that one as well. Yeah. Um, anywhere on it, if you've, if you stayed on property much, do you have a favorite hotel at Disney? Oh gosh. Um, yes. Um, animal kingdom lodge. Okay. On, on the animal side. Yeah. That was, that was the best experience we had on, on property. Yeah. Where you can, you can walk out and see the animals yeah. grazing around and walk yeah. out and, and, and yeah. And late at night, our last night there, we were like 20 feet away from a giraffe. It was, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. It, was, yeah. it was just really cool. Especially um, after, after a long day of wrangling two owly kids. <laughs> to go to go home and see that it was it was a wonderful experience yeah um anywhere on property uh we don't i don't go to a lot of restaurants on property but i do eat a lot of treats do you have a favorite disney treat um i honestly don't um i can't uh, i really i mean we eat at different places um but i couldn't tell you the names of them to to even come up with it with a good suggestion so yeah, yeah. um my wife 
I think it was at Disney. My wife had the pineapple. The Dole Whip? Yeah, the Dole Whip. Yeah. That's what yeah. she had. And, and she liked that pretty well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. But <laughs> not, like, not like I have to have the Dole Whip every time I go, you know? I, I went for, you know, the first, I don't know, seven or eight times I went, I never had a Dole Whip. And then recently I've had it. And yeah, it, it actually is really good. It is one of those that... Okay. I'm not sure I have to have it, but I definitely want it when I go. Yeah, yeah it's, it's okay. Um, do you do you have a favorite Disney character? Favorite Disney character? Um, I, I like a bunch of them. Um, I am going to have to go with Who am I gonna go with? Now, let me say Genie. Genie is probably my favorite Disney character. All right. Not and then one um, one thing we do in the class, as you know, is the students talk about an MCU character that they identify with, um, that they feel represents them, or they want to represent them. What Marvel character do you feel you identify the closest with? or want to kind of embody their character? Now, can I, let me, let me give you two answers. Okay. Um, I think, wow. I really think within the MCU, I would go with Ant-Man. Okay. Um, that's gonna sound, I know, I know that sounds off, but, but I, like, I like Paul Rudd's, personalization and you know it always seems like doesn't matter what happens he is able to take everything in stride and, and continue to go on and and doesn't have world beating powers to do it it's all again kind of a normal everyman type of thing um within the comic books a, a character that i always have identified with um is wonder man but he has not yet made it into the mcu and i i don't know if he ever will because of you know see you know, special effects and needed to, 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 to create his character. But I've always, always um, identified with him um, there. So, uh, well, you know, those, those are my two answers, Ant-Man and Wonder Man. Okay. There, and if you go back and watch, I think it's episode two of WandaVision and you mm -hmm. watch the intro, I think there may be a Wonder Man in the background. There may be. Um, like, it, you know, it was the, the intro that looked like Bewitched. Right. Um, and they, they have one in there. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe that's all it will be. Maybe he'll come in the future. I'm not sure, but, um, and then last one on Disney plus and with the MCU, we so far have gotten WandaVision, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, what if the animated series, um, Hawkeye, and now we have Moon Knight. So out of those six, do you have a favorite MCU show on Disney Plus wow. or that you enjoyed the most? Um, I like them all. Um, I think when I, when I look back, I like I liked the story of Loki and okay. I'm really interested to see how that, that's going to play out. Um, but I also, I really like Hawkeye too. Uh, in terms of of MCU characters and 
Kate Bishop Hawkeye has been, it has always been intriguing to me. Um, and, and then I'm going to say Moon Knight because it's we're watching it right now and it's, yeah. it's fun. So I hate to go on the recency bias, but, but I think, I guess Loki's probably going to be the one that, that I, you know, it came out, I think he also came, it also dropped on Wednesdays and yeah. I would come right home from work and, and turn on the TV and catch the latest episode. Yeah. Whereas Moon Knight, uh, it's been Thursday nights usually because we forget it on Wednesday. So uh, if you judge just by how excited I was to come back and watch the show, I think Loki's got to take it there. Um, but but none of them, I don't think any of them were bad shows. Oh my gosh, WandaVision I thought was was inventive television. Um, the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier kept me engaged. So we see we see Sam Wilson take over as Captain America. You know, all of the shows I think have been have been really really well done um and they're ones that i have thoroughly enjoyed watching yeah and i mean that you mentioned when with hawkeye that was probably the um series i was looking forward to the least um and like i like you i've enjoyed all of them i i watch each episode multiple times and so by the end of the season, I've probably watched episodes. Uh, it might be embarrassing to admit how much. Um, <laughs> but then I read the Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye mm-hmm. and watching that and the fact that it's set at Christmas, it's using Christmas music and everything. It became one. It is. It's. It wasn't my favorite last year, I don't think, but it was among the amongst the top um and it was the biggest surprise that i really really liked that right. a lot more than i ever thought i would um and so it, it was it was fun and yeah right now i mean moon knight i think we talked about it earlier moon knight strikes that chord of mystery of what's going to happen right we don't know so oh and 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 the one i didn't mention the what if i enjoyed the i enjoyed the what if and and the the overarching theme that went through that whole that whole yeah. run as well so um so yeah I, I i i haven't found a dud in all of that so you know yeah. there sometimes there are there are shows you watch it's like okay i just i started this i have to finish it up um like some of the mcu stuff that was on netflix the defenders yeah. run there were a couple of those shows that got a little long in the middle yeah um but i think here on disney plus maybe they have taking care of some of that because these runs are shorter than the defenders runs that were out there. Yeah. And I think that's good when you have six episodes that are ranging from some of them are 40 to 50, 55. Well, there have been a few that have been an hour that it's just, it's very like straight to the point storytelling. Um, I think that's very good for the, I think there's something to be said for being able to explore some topics but sometimes they get a little bit, it drags a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You get that, so. yeah. Well, Rick, thanks for doing this. Uh, this was, this was awesome for anybody who wants to ask more questions or follow up. Um, what's the best way for somebody to, to contact you with questions or, or anything? I would love to take more questions and chat with folks. The easiest way is to reach me at my email. Um, it's Rick, R-I-C-K dot grieve g-r-i e as an elephant v as in victor e as an elephant at wku.edu okay 
shoot me a, shoot me a, uh, an email and, and we can start the conversation. All right. Awesome. Well, Rick, thank you for doing this. Like I said, this was something I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, and so thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Take care. Bye. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining us and listening and to say that I hope you found the information, whether content covered in class or interviews with guests, fun, informational, entertaining, and even inspiring. If you want to follow along with the class, you can do so by following me on Twitter at CHaverPhD. That's C-H-A-V. A-R-D, Ph.D., or by joining the public group on Facebook, Being a Fan of Disney. If you want to engage with any of the guests we've had in class, their contact information is included in each of the show notes. So again, thank you for joining us. It was a great time having you. If you like what you hear, please share this out so other people can engage with the information, possibly learn more about their Disney fandom and their love for all things Disney related. With that, Thank you again and have a great day.